With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Socially Savvy, broadcasting live from Carnation, Washington. I'm your host, LB Duchess. Today, we're going to be launching some fun, fantastic interviews that we did for um, this last weekend over Woodenville Passport, which was one of their fun spring kickoff events um, for the some of the wine tasting sellers in Woodenville. Um, we have some very fun interviews with Elevation, Vortex, Jay Bookwalter, Brian Carter, Chocolate Shop, and DeStephanie, to name a few. So give a listen in and enjoy the show. Hello, this is LB Duchess, and I am here at the Woodenville Passport Wine Tasting Weekend. We're going to be interviewing some fantastic winemakers and wine cellar rooms, so uh, listen in. This is LB Duchess, and I'm here at Windmill Wine Cellars with winemaker Sean Boyd, and he is going to tell us about one of the wines that they are tasting here at Passport Weekend in Woodenville Wine Country. So this is our 2009 Reserve Cabernet Sauvignon. We make about 100 cases of this. I thought it would be fun to showcase today as one of our top uh, wines that we do. Um, we keep this in cask for about two years and in bottle for about uh, 18 months before we release it uh, to really get that real great synergy going and real smooth characters. And this is one of my favorite vintages we've worked with uh, in Washington State. Uh, 2009 was a pretty hot vintage for, for Cabernet Sauvignon. It was a great uh, outcome for this wine. Um, so, you know, uh, it, enjoy it. It's a favorite. Well, what I like so much about it is it has a great nose as well as a great flavor. And sometimes the nose of the wine and the flavor don't always coincide, so it's confusing. Well, I think it has a um, very classic uh, Cabernet nose uh, to it, so very varietal. Um, a lot of times when you taste wines today, they may be good, but they don't really smell or taste like the grape it says on the on the label. Um, so one thing I'm really proud about this wine is what it says about Washington State in general. And the Cabernet Sauvignon that is being produced here is really uh, world class without the price. I love that. So tell us a little bit about um, Woodenville Wine Cellars, uh, when you guys started it, and how long you've been with them. Well, I've been here almost since the beginning. We started here in 2001. Um, so we were one of the uh, originals here in Woodenville. Um, I think we were number 12, to be exact. Um, and uh, I mostly started here in 2003 as a part-time uh, helper, assistant winemaker here. And in 2005, I uh, took over the winemaking here and have been uh, rolling along since. So we do about uh, 4,000 cases here now. That is fantastic. So for somebody who's going to look to do wine tasting, um, what do you think is your point of difference? Because you guys are kind of out here off the beaten track. So um, I, for, I could tell our listeners right now that the wine is definitely worth driving out and checking out. But what do you feel is your point of difference? Oh, well, definitely that uh, the unique quality that we have here um, is that 
We enjoy being in an area that's not full of a lot of other wineries, and we um, like to be over here. We do our own thing. We make great wines, or we hope we make great wines, and we think that that does the marketing for us. Um, so it becomes a destination spot for us that people talk about. Um, you know, hey, go see Woodenville uh, wine cellars over there. Because certainly from the parking lot, it doesn't look like what when you walk into our tasting room or you go along our uh, creek here outside. We have a nice little park area behind us here, which we have uh, summer events where people can come and just drink a, a, a bottle of wine. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing and being a part of this weekend. Thank you very much. And this is LB Duchess, and I'm standing here with Steve Stewart at Elevation Winery ta Wine Tasting Room here in um, Woodinville. And I understand you are the winemaker. So tell us a little bit about this fantastic, cute little tasting room and the wines you guys make. Right. So we specialize primarily in Bordeaux wines, Bordeaux blends, so cabs, merlots, and red blends. And also, another one of my signature wines is uh, Alsatian-style Riesling. It's kind of off-dry, one of my best-selling wines. So we're a little boutique winery. I do all my production in this room. All my tanks are stainless steel. Except, well, I have stainless steel tanks and I have oak tanks, but they're all temperature-controlled. So it gives me that little bit of extra control. Um, I'm an engineer in my other life, so winemaker, this is kind of my retirement plan. So the engineer in me gets the better of me. And so when you come in here, you don't see equipment like this in many of the other boutique wineries. I've got some of the best equipment around. And I, I'm really, you know, I don't overproduce. So the small batches that I do make, I can pay a lot of attention to each batch. And that's kind of where the name Elevation comes from. So there's a French winemaking term called élevage, and when a wine has élevage, it means the winemaker took a lot of time and care going from the grape to the glass. So that's our. So it kind of translates to elevate. So I don't make wine; I elevate wine. And then our other elevation link is I'm an ex-ski racer, and I met my wife at 9,500 feet oh, in the Lord. Snake River <laughs> Saloon in Summit County, Colorado. So when we came up with the name Elevation, it, it, it fit us. So we went with it. So I make about 2,700 cases a year. Okay. Um, we're in distribution. You can find our wines at all the better restaurants and wine shops. And we invite you all to come on in and, and try our wines. We try and make our wines just a little bit smoother than you're going to get anywhere else. I don't believe in over-oak wines, so try and pay a lot of attention to just make some smooth, velvety wines. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing with us, and um, I'm going to go enjoy your wine. Okay, thank you very much. This is LB Duchess, and I'm standing here at Vortex Cellars with Ed Wickline, which rhymes with... Beerstein, as uh, my grandma told me to play it people. <laughs> I love that. So we're standing in this really cute tasting room. Um, I love that you guys have art up here. So, what do you think of this huh? <laughs> you want to case it out, I bet, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been a, was a home brewer for a long time making beer. One of my buddies I made beer with got me into wine making. I took the hobby and thought I wanted to do more with it. I went to school at uh, South Seattle Community College for the wine technology program and started working in the wine industry then making wines at other wineries. After a bit of that, we decided to branch out and do our own thing, focused on um, French Rhone-style wines and Spanish wines. 
I'm going to love these wines, I can tell you right now. <laughs> so um, you have been fabulous. You're participating in the Woodenville Wine Country Passport this weekend. What wines do we get to taste, and, and how do they differ from what everybody else is offering? Uh, we've got five wines open today. Um, we're starting with a Cascade White. It's a Viognier Chardonnay blend, which is a non-traditional blend, but it came together really nicely with light oak on it. Very, it's a really good right now. Okay, you have my attention because not only have I never been
sort of thought about what does that mean and why why is it that people want to have wine be part of their lives and I think I think some of it there's some upward mobility to that where people feel like drinking wine is more sophisticated or more socially acceptable than beer or cocktails or other things but I think there's also there's so many health benefits for it and we read so hear so much about wine that people really want to incorporate it into their lives but they don't like the flavors and so we'd done a little bit with sweet wines we'd done some fruit wines with flavors and I felt like wine and chocolate those are both when you make wine sweet you really get into just pure fruit cherry strawberry raspberry just very clean fruit flavors and chocolate is everyone loves chocolate it's just it's cacao it's vanilla it's spice it's sort of roasty coffee chicory notes there's there's really simple flavors that globally everyone can understand and so I felt like if we could put those two together in a way that really made a much more we toned down the acid we sort of manage the tannins in a different way with sweetness and with fruitiness that we could create a beverage that it would look like wine people that weren't seasoned wine drinkers so to speak could feel comfortable at a party drinking that and they wouldn't feel out of place but at the same time it was something that was more to their liking and so that was for me that was a really that was sort of for me as a as a nerdy very old school this is this is how we make wine this is how you do things that was my justification for why we made it and then after we made it there were some I it was sort of I had the opposite experience where I was at wine tasting was and you have the chocolate wine and everyone thinks oh well this is this is a women's wine this is really this is made for sort of the feminine set and women would come up and they'd try it and then they would say like oh honey you have to try this and they would turn to their 280 pound boyfriend in the gold gym tank top and he would taste it and be like damn babe that's some good stuff like we gotta get this at home and actually they said that at about eight octaves higher because of all the steroids <laughs> but at that point you have enough you have enough of these interactions with people where it's 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 not about gender, it's not about race, it's not about any sort of, it's just a completely different flavor set that I think we all can relate to. And so if you're a wine drinker, it's great because you still identify with the wine and you there's these other flavors that you understand. And if you're not a wine drinker, you understand all of those secondary flavors, the chocolate, the vanilla, the sweetness, the fruit, but there's still enough wine there that it has meaningful impact for you. So it's a really sort of, very broad appeal product. Well, it's it's funny because the first time I ever drank the chocolate shop, it was. It was a very different appeal because I'd been drinking wine for a while and it already started my wine studies. So my brain was trained to try to pick up on all the little nuances. And then I was introduced to the strawberry shop. And then I was introduced to the um, sparkling and the almond roca. So what I love that you guys have done is you've taken wine and you've made it its own dessert. You don't need anything. Anything that you put with your dessert wines actually becomes secondary, where typically a dessert wine is secondary to the dessert. Right. And it's, I love, for me, I think there's a dessert aspect to it, but I've had enough. It's interesting. I've, I've given it to people and had them come back and they're, and they're like, well, we, I drank this with my mom and we loved it. And I would say, well, what did you, was, did you have that with like strawberry shortcake, which is my favorite pairing for that? Or did you have it with chocolate mousse? Or, and they said, oh, no, we had it with 
like a ribeye steak and green beans and garlic mashed potatoes, and you're like, wow, like I really that's a pairing I would never put together in my entire life. But my the thing that I always preach to people, and I feel like is the most important thing, is if it tastes good to you, like I don't care what the rules are. Like if if you like that combination, then that's the place to start, and then explore from there, and really sort of push the boundaries of what you're comfortable with from there, rather than taking what people say as a great pairing or a, a classic combination. And part of it was when we made the chocolate wine, I'd done, I'd been doing wine dinners with Precept for four years at that point, and then we would always go to these dinners and we'd have these great red wines and then they would put it with chocolate mousse or chocolate pie or some kind of chocolate dessert, and I never felt like it was, the chocolate is so sweet that it never really works with the wine. And so I knew it was possible to have chocolate and red wine together, but in general, when you have a dessert, dessert so sweet compared to a 80 or 90 percent cacao chocolate bar, that it doesn't really the pairing doesn't work in real life in the same way that it works on paper. Um, and so, I felt like we could take that, we could sort of re-engineer that flavor experience in a different way. That is fantastic. It's so funny because I'm Mexican in some of my heritage, so the first thing I thought is chocolate chop with a mole sauce. <laughs> Actually, well, <laughs> do I make a drink? Um, we have a really un-PC name, which we, I won't mention on paper. <laughs> no, <laughs> I will not mention it ever outside of like very close company. But it's but the idea is to create a Mexican chocolate type flavor because I I do I love mole. Um, it's one of the few things. Every time I go to Mexico, I end up with like eight kilos of mayordomo mole in my suitcase that I'm trying to smuggle back. I'm like, well, I just I bought some some mortar. I bought some spices. Like you come up with a different excuse every time. But it's so it's three parts of just the regular chocolate chop red wine, um, a shot or a part of uh, Fireball whiskey, and a half shot of Frangelico. And you put that all in a shaker and shake it up, and it gives you really that full Mexican chocolate kind of nuance. You get the chocolate, you get cinnamon, you get spice, you get a little of that chili heat, but there's also that almond kind of hazelnut flavor that gives you a little of the like vanilla lactones and the, a little bit more of that those softer undertones. And it's really a, it's a nice drink. You can just you can shake it, put it in like a lower alcohol chocolate martini. Um, and it's delicious. I'm so trying this. So besides that one, which is actually sounds like a delicious recipe, which of the chocolate shop wines, because my favorite is the chocolate shop sparkling, because I love sparkling wines, but is there a recipe for any of the other chocolate shop wines, like maybe the strawberry or something, that you have a favorite? I think I think that it's – I don't really – it is wine, but I don't look at it as wine. I look at it as a mixer. And so with the sparkling I've done, I've just sort of looked at how do we use sparkling in the wine world and then how do we reinterpret that. So we've done taken mimosas and done things with uh, pomegranate juice or like a kai grape juice and different things and made mimosas that way. With the sparkling wine, we've done things with uh, like sort of reinterpreting a Kier Royale. So you can use Kier, which is blackcurrant. You can use Chambord, which is raspberry. Um, if you can find, I've done it with uh, like Jaeger and some of the bitters, which gets you into a more sort of weird, sort of interesting herbal category. Um, and you can do things just with sparkling chocolate. 
And if you want to go high octane, you can do Kirsch, you can do uh, Austrian Schnapps, which comes in a whole like apricot, peach, pear. There's all those fruits. Once you have fruit and fruit, it's pretty simple. And fruit and any kind of chocolate goes together really well. Um, with the chocolate strawberry, there's a lot of sort of, I think you just have to sort of start thinking about those base flavors. So if you have chocolate strawberry wine, what goes well with that, you can look at um, things like Frangelico, which are more sort of almond liqueurs. You can then look to build in some sort of undercurrents, whether that's with like whipped cream vodka or cupcake vodka, so you can make a cobbler type of a drink. And it's really just, it, it's less about, I think people get, with drinks in general, they get very hung up on what are the classic cocktails. And with once you get into flavored beverages, for me, it's less about how do we make reinterpret a Manhattan or a martini into a chocolate flavored drink is how do we take wine and different kinds of alcohol and and create sort of liquid versions of desserts that we like, whether that's strawberry shortcake or a cobbler or a grunt or whatever it is, take those same flavor components, which are all out there, and sort of recreate them using these different alcohols and wines to create a liquid dessert instead of a carb, fruit, sugar dessert. I love that. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking time because I, I mean, we've worked with you guys in chocolate shops forever and a day, and I never had so many thoughts about what I could do with the wine. It's it's fun. It really is. I I get new ideas every week. I try things. Um, we've done, you know, we do mulled wines, and it's. For me, because we make chocolate shop and we ship it all over the world, we get we get lots of input from people that ask for things that we wouldn't normally do. So we've had requests for chai chocolate wine. We've had requests for like pumpkin spice chocolate latte wine. Yeah, and and I love there's th- just the chocolate sparkling wine. I think is a great. It's a little drier than the normal chocolate red wine, especially with the carbonation. It, the perception is drier, and it's a great chocolate. Such a great flavor in and of itself, and I think with red wine, especially more so than white wine, it's a there's a lot of common flavors there. Where if you think about pumpkin pie or apple pie or pecan pie, it's very easy to see how those flavors that those red wine, dark plum, cherry, blackberry, fruit, and chocolate can work with brown sugar, cinnamon, nuts, graham. Sort of pastry, baked pastry, brown sugar, sort of sweet cookie type desserts, and so it's it's a really it's fun to put things together in ways that in the summer I love strawberry shortcake and chocolate sparkling because they're completely different flavors, but you can pull out the fruit from the sparkling chocolate wine and put that with the strawberries or the collar, and it works great. You can pull out the chocolate, and it goes great. Obviously, with whipped cream, it goes great with you know strawberry shortcake with grated chocolate on top of it is great. It becomes it's it's a it's a funny sort of a winemaking thing. There's there's a lot of focus put on very micro adjustment. Well, is it, do we have enough? And so, do we have enough Cunois? Is there enough of Petit Verdot? Do we want to do like three and a half percent or three and a quarter percent Petit Verdot and these crazy little numbers? But when you get down to brass tacks of winemaking, if you just start with good wine and you're making a red blend. As long as all of the pieces are good, 99% of the time, those good pieces come together to make a good product. And you have to have some 
cultural reference or a flavor reference or something that is meaningful for you, but it, whether you're, if you're Parisian or Persian or Italian or Mexican or whatever it is, or, you know, you're from Minnesota or you're from Louisiana or you're from Seattle, Washington, every culture has different sort of groups of flavors that really are unique to that area of the world, and you have to just think about how do I make beverages, whether you're using my chocolate wine or not, that sort of reflect those flavors in my community. Wow, well, thank you so much. I, I what, One of the things I love so much about this is, you're right, it is, it is multicultural, and every culture has something where they attach to chocolate. So thank you so much. And um, if they're looking for your wines, I believe they can go to chocolateshop.com. So chocolateshopswine.com, if you're in the Northwest, it's pretty much in every grocery store. You're, uh, we're in we're in QFC, Safeway, Total, uh, I believe, Bebmo, Fred Meyer. Um, and if they don't have it, just go talk to their receiver or the steward and say, we want chocolate shop wine, and they'll bring it in. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. This is LB Duchess with Socially Savvy, and I am here at Woodenville Wine Country's Passport Day 2. So uh, listen to our interviews. And this is LB Duchess. I'm standing here with Travis Maple, associate wine maker, with Jay Brookwalter. Yes. <laughs> How are you doing today? This is such a fun, awesome wine tasting room. I mean, you've got a great space for people to come and taste, and then you've also got this luxurious little lounge with leather couches. Yes, and the patio makes it a real nice experience, too. We try to make it a very comfortable experience for all wine tasters to come through here. But it's more than just a wine tasting when you come to Bookwalter Wine. We really want to make sure that the consumer gets educated as well. We have some of the most knowledgeable staff around, and we do an extensive training program with all of our wine staff members here, including the ones from our Richland facility as well. We're continuously training all of our staff on winemaking, winemaking styles, and all of our techniques, as long as our new wines that are always constantly being released as well. Awesome. So now you guys have been here for a little while. What, um, what type of an experience should people expect when they come into your wine tasting room? Again, kind of going back to the educational experience. We don't want people just to taste wines and just kind of leave here maybe with a little bit of a buzz. We want them to leave here with knowledge, maybe something that they didn't know about wines before they came in, and definitely just to actually get a better understanding of different styles of wines. Very cool. And uh, what kinds of wines do you guys, do you special in one particular type, or are you kind of all over the board? Kind of all over the board. Uh, John Bookwalter and I are really big fans of blends, but we do have all obviously our varietal dominance. We like to do Merlots and Cab Sauvs, but our higher end wines are typically more Bordeaux style blends. Well, awesome. Well, I'm excited to go try some of your wines. Thanks for having us today. Thank you. And this is LB Duchess at Brian Carter sitting with the Brian Carter, and we're going to chat a little bit about his wine. So tell us a little bit about. Um, I mean, you have a great space here, great tasting room, and some fantastic wines. Tell us how you got started. Okay. I've uh, uh, been a winemaker now for 34 vintages here in Washington State and uh, got here in 1980. And uh, been uh, been having a lot of fun making wine in Washington State ever since. I actually moved up here from California and I, uh, where I was getting a degree in uh, winemaking down there. Wow. So you have you said you'd been associated with quite a few different along the way. When did you break away and start your own? It was kind of a gradual process. I started making the Brian Carter Cellars wines when I was with Apex Winery in Sunnyside, Washington. Clear back in 97 is the first Brian Carter Cellars wine made. 
And uh, then it wasn't really till 2006 that we opened up the Brian Carter Cellars tasting room here with a full line of Brian Carter wines. So is there a particular vintage that you like to showcase, or do you like to play with the whole gamut? Oh, I like to play with the whole gamut, and uh, every vintage has its stars, and definitely um, uh, we have, right, right now we're selling wines here at Brian Carter from two, as early as 2007, and uh, uh, next week we'll actually be releasing a wine from 2012, our rosé. Wow, so I got to come for the um, Woodenville Wine Country Passport today, and you were sampling two different wines, and the wine down in the lower area, that one is absolutely exquisite. Can you tell me a little bit about that one? Yeah, that's a very special wine called Trentonaire, uh, fairly limited in production, and I think we're getting close to being sold out on that wine, but we kind of wanted to feature it, and it is a, um, Trentonaire means of 30 years, so it is, uh, originally was released honoring my 30 years in the Washington wine business uh, about three years ago, so it was uh, great. Um, it's a Petit Verdot-based blend, which makes it quite unique. It's a Bordeaux uh, blend. It's got all five classic Bordeaux varieties, but it's mainly Petit Verdot, which makes it quite unusual. Very, very aromatic wine. So it smells flowery. It's a characteristic of the Petit Verdot. Also a pretty big wine. It is fantastic. It's actually one of my favorites from Passport this week. Um, so one last question. For a new wine taster here, somebody would go around wine tasting in um, Woodenville, what would be a little bit of advice you would give them? Well, don't try and visit too many wineries. Just, uh, you know, pick maybe five or six in a day that you want that you want to visit. And there, since there's over 100 wineries in Woodenville, you can't see them all. And even then, uh, assuming that uh, every winery has several wines to taste, you might even want to focus down on there. You might want to say just focus on tasting Bordeaux reds or Cabernets or uh, Rhone reds. And and, uh, and then uh, if you can corner the winemaker, uh, then do so and ask him some questions and try and learn as much as you can about wine, whether it's from the winemaker or the rest of the staff. Here at Brian Carter, we're, we try very hard to not only give people an entertaining time, but also make sure they learn something in the process, because the more you know about wine, the more you appreciate it. I love that. That's one of, I think, my favorite things about Washington Wines is that all of the, mo I should say, most of the wine sellers that I've dealt with, that you guys really focus on education and helping people understand what it is that they love about the wines. You bet. Yeah. Well, I've always felt that way, that uh, wine can be a little bit intimidating to some people because there's, there's so much to learn, but don't let that bother you. Uh, if you just learn a little bit every day, uh, pretty soon you'll be an expert. Well, thank you so much for taking time with us here at Socially Savvy. Thanks for coming. This is LB Duchess with Socially Savvy, and I have the privilege of standing here with Mark Newton of the Stephanie Wines. Hey, how are you? I'm doing, I'm doing fantastic, and it's been so much fun doing the Passport. I was really excited you guys were a part of it. Um, I hadn't had a chance to really try any of your wines until I tried the little tasting room over in Woodenville. But I have to say my favorite place is over here in the warehouse district, away from everybody else. You have a fantastic room. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. The interesting part about Passport is that um, I was, I've been involved in every Passport from day one. And if you think about Passport, Passport, the original intent Passport was a handful of wineries here in, Wash here in Woodenville who wanted to show off their wines. It was about opening up your cellars so people could come see the winemakers, see the cellars, enjoy those wines. 
passports changed a little bit over the years, but the original intent was to share the wines uh, with the public. Well, and, and that's kind of what I've gotten out of it is we actually uh, separated the whole weekend. I took the whole weekend off, and um, we focused on some yesterday and some today. I think it's a great way for people to kind of get to know each individual winery, and it's great to be able to meet owners and winemakers like you. That's, well, that's the intent. That was the whole intent of Passport, and that's the way it should be. Um, I think there's some amazing wines that are coming out of Washington State, and there's some amazing wines that are being made here in Woodinville, which is just, what, 40 minutes outside of Seattle. And uh, when you think about when you think about the wines coming out of our state, they're pretty amazing. Um, I started making wines in 1983. There were 38 wineries in the state at the time. Um, I guess I'm an old guy, uh, but I still love making wine, and uh, and I love sharing those wines. So Passport's an opportunity for us to share those wines with people who are long-term clients that we've seen today, as well as new people who have never been here before. Wow. So you started in 83. Did you start with your own, DeStephanie? No, we actually started uh, under the name of Newton & Newton, uh, my last name being Newton, my brother, uh, who's a major grower in California, Newton, and I started out as a champagne maker, <clears throat> or sparkling wine, however you want to do it. Um, I started out in 1983 producing a sparkling wine using Oregon Pinot Noir Chardonnay and Pinot Meunier, and we were making sparkling wine in the traditional sense of whole cluster fermenta whole cluster pressing, fermentation, uh, you know, in the bottle of fermentation, we imported, uh, you know, French pupitres for doing uh, all our riddling. Classic. And and those wines, uh, those earlier wines under Newton and Newton, you know, it's funny, but people actually still remember the name uh, after so many years and remember there was some great, great sparkling wine. In 1991, uh, I stopped making the sparkling wines and moved to the Nathan Sauvignon Blanc that we tasted today here at, uh, at Passport and then uh, started making reds and fell in love with making reds, too. So. It's just yeah. It's very fun. And I know that today over here on this side, which was away from everybody else, you're doing a barrel tasting. And I'm looking at a glass that I have yet to try. I'm very, I, it's like I'm jumping out of my pants to try to try it. Tell us a little bit about this barrel tasting that you offered over Passport. So this is, uh, so if, again, we think about Passport's about experience and, and providing an opportunity for people to see things that are different other than just going to a store and buying wine. So we thought we'd do a barrel tasting today, and we brought uh, out our 2011 Sangiovese. And um, this is a wine that's in process, but it's a pretty damn nice wine to taste right now. And uh, when we put it in the bottle, we'll probably blend a little bit of Cab Franc or maybe Le Carmenere or Cabinet. But, um, yeah, it's just it's just showing that, that wine's about life, wine changes, and um, it's a great opportunity to taste a little Sangiovese and uh, close out a wonderful weekend. Oh, I love that. Now, you and I were talking earlier. Um, you guys have an affinity towards cigars because of your own passion. Tell us a little bit about the cigar pairings, or, or I should say cigar wine dinners that you guys are doing. Well, uh, so so I've been smoking cigars for a long time, good or bad, um, and, and we often think of cigars as, as like a fine wine. You know, the, the draw, the construction, the flavors, the location, the terroirs of the tobacco is all the same thing about wine. Um, <clears throat> so several years ago, we started doing a quarterly uh, cigar and wine dinner, and that's kind of been a tradition we've been doing for many years. Um, but uh, but a couple of years ago, we actually created a wine specifically for cigar smoking. Uh, so we have a wine that we have called Cigaro, um, Italian for cigar, or Cigaro, however you want to say it. We, have, we say we say Cigaro, but it really Cigaro is, is the pronunciation of the Italian. We 
which is predominantly um, Syrah, a little bit of Grenache. And, and the intent there was to come up with a wine that did not compete with the cigar, or the cigar compete with the wine. And uh, if you're a cigar smoker and you like a nice great Robusto from the Dominican, a glass of cigar is about as good as it gets. Well, I love it. Thank you so much for taking time for us, especially at the end of Passport. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to our interviews from Windville Wine Country's Passport this last weekend, where we got a chance to chat with some of the winemakers. On the end here, I'm adding an impromptu interview that kind of just happened as we were standing there before the interview, uh, getting to know the winemaker and uh, check out his wine tasting room. It's truly an example of what you get to experience when you go to these different tasting rooms and these different events. <coughs> Hope you enjoy. Take care. who went out and looked at the forest to have the stage split to to a French artisan um, Cooper who um, then wine's been put in them. this is about 24 cases of wine in here mm-hmm. and here's the interesting part for me is 24 cases of wine where would this wine go who's pleasurable it and that could be an interesting thing in itself is to say imagine tagging those 24 cases and see where they go oh my god if you want to talk about an interesting um, documentary, it's like this, this will go to, this has the ability to go to somebody's graduation in college, uh, somebody's um, wedding event, somebody's celebration of divorce, um, somebody who is completely depressed uh, and is just sitting in their apartment in New York drinking a bottle of wine and eating takeout. I mean, all of these kinds of things that happen, um, and, and when most people come in here, they see barrels. When you see life. You see life stories. I see the. I see. I see the souls. Okay, let's freaking cry. That is cool. Dude, I'm gonna come down here and have lunch every day just to hang out with you. I don't really. No, this I don't is awesome. Talk this about is, this, but this is, this but you great. have to you have to understand the. Um, like I said, the artisans who make it. And if you've never been to a barrel fabrication facility, mm-hmm. there's a great one in, in Napa called Sugun Moral that you can go and see. And you, in, in, when you see barrels being made, this is not like a Chinese factory making... Um, so from what I understand, the, the, the barrel making process is more like the cigar making process or even the winemaking process where it can be generations that they do yes. one yes. portion. Yes. Like maybe maybe yes. their their family has been doing the rings of the barrel yes. for five generations. Right. Or another one has been growing, growing the, the wood, timber. Yes. the timber for ten generations and that's their participation yes. in making this great. So so years ago I thought uh, years ago I thought about wanting to get into to doing barrel making. And so I looked at doing barrel making with the intent of I had found the equipment to make barrels um, uh, out of Great Britain and then found the sources in France to do the wood. Wow. It's about a million dollar investment. Oh, my God. So, but, but the, you know, it, it's like if you look at it, I mean, there's more here than you really can imagine. So I started, one of the places I went to, Behringer, the Behringer Winery has their own barrel facility where they make barrels in Northern California um, that nobody really knows about. You can drive by their warehouse, you know, they know that they're making barrels now. And, and the guy who's <clears throat> who's in charge of that barrel facility is, has been one of the major coopers in the U.S. Oh, and wow. doing a lot of work on American barrels. 
And <clears throat> and I called them up one day and said, I want to come visit you. And they were saying, mm, great. It's one of these things where you go and you sit in the corner and you watch. Yeah. Quietly. Quietly. And, <clears throat> and, what, um, and over the years, we brought in a couple of different barrels. Um, we brought in some barrels from from uh, South America. So so the barrels, this is known as a stave, this is a head, yep. this is a crossbar. And you can go to France and buy what we call barrel sets, which are all of these have already been done. Mm-hmm. All you, have, you bring them in, you can manufacture them. So there was a company in South America called Mistral, and there's a couple of barrels in there that we had purchased um, a couple of years ago, well, four or five years ago, to try them. And Mistral's experience was, we're going to take barrel sets coming into France, French, French uh, Bordeaux, you know, or French, French wood, and we're going to create the wines using infrared heaters and sensors versus we're going to use the fires that what you traditionally see. Okay. And and so there's this world. So you go to Behringer and you start talking to people. It says there's all kinds of different companies like Sigmund Moreau is another big producer who have tried to do smell sensors and 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 infrared and computer controls to toast the inside of the barrel. So they're trying to dissect what they're, makes a they're, barrel. They're doing typical what, what, what the Western world will do. Let's figure out yeah. what makes the best. And it's, it's not you, it's, as, you can't as dissect the that. Of the heritage. So you know what they end up doing? Yep. Fucking putting all on the shelf saying this is bullshit. We're not doing that. <laughs> so you go, to Behringer, so you go to Behringer, and what you have is you have a cooper, the head cooper, who puts these over the fire. And, and you know, they, they're splayed when they, before these are bent. You know, the heads here and the, the wood's all splayed out, and they toast the inside of the barrels. So then by smell, by the cooper who's there watching the barrels being toasted by the fires that is used from some oak shavings in here. So it determines the the smoky, the toast, the the toast, toast, of, the toast. of the barrels. Okay. The if, you look, if you look on the inside here, you see right here? This right here is the toast that you'll see on the inside of the barrel. Subsequent, this has been machined, and that's been machined before they put the head on. But if you look on the inside of the barrel before you were to part wood in it, this is the toast that you would see on the inside of the barrel. Very light. Okay. So we call it, this is actually known as a heavy toast. Yeah. HT stands for heavy toast. Um, But it's it's interesting shit. Hey, you know, what I love about so much, and it's funny because we talked about the whole Daniels and the, and the, um, People thought we were crazy about it. Dude, that's history. We, we had to buy it. It was. You understand I'm a cigar guy. Do you know that? Oh, dude, I'm a cigar guy. No, no, no. I was a cigar person. I I loved, because of the heritage of cigars. What's your name again? I'm Mark. Mark Brett Coffin. So we've been, we've been doing a, we do a quarterly cigar dinner here and we have been doing it for many years. Oh, my gosh. It is, um, so I'm. I want to be here for that. I started smoking, um, when I was 20, I got out of college. I was 22, 23. Um, dating this woman, went to see her brother-in-law and her sister in Northern California, in, you know, like Marin, and and, uh, and the guy turns to me and he goes, "Would you like a cigar?" I said, "Why not?" Why not? Why would I say no? It was a Royal Jamaican. Cuban? No. Royal Royal Jamaican. Royal Jamaican was the name of the brand. Okay. Uh, Dominican. Out of Dominican. Okay. You know, but every once in a while you'll still see them around, but it was a Royal Jamaican. Dominican still throws a ridiculous cigar. Oh, great. So so I've been smoking ever since. So I went through, I was smoking cigars before it was popular. popular. Um, You know, 
my favorites for things like you know the Hemingway short stories for short smokes. Yeah. Um, and then also over the years I I do you know I do other stuff here and I've spent a lot of time overseas mainly in um, in Southeast Asia where you know, Cubans when I'm overseas I smoke Monte Cristo number twos boulevards. Um, what do you think about the uh, my my favorite Cuban is actually the Romeo and Juliet. I've smoked them all. Oh my God! Punch. <laughs> no, punch throws yeah, a great one. The anniversarios cigar. that they—I got to, a chance to smoke a bunch of the anniversarios uh, 2000 mm-hmm. um, from a bunch of those from the Cuban. Oh my yeah. God! The she got the me culture. into it. It was her first. It was her brother. But, was but down I was down but I'm Mexican, Spanish, and Cherokee. So for me, it was I was enchanted by the history. You got five and ten generations yeah. of just yeah. just wrapping yeah. the cigars. So, so to me, if if you want to if you want to look at a family that's been in the world for making cigars, it's the Heming, the Heming, Heming? Uh, not, not Hemingway, but um, El Toro Fuente. So El oh, Toro Fuente, the Hemingway oh series God, yes. is this is one of the high ends for the Heming, the El Toro Fuente family. But I was um, I was in Hong Kong, um, staying at uh, the Ritz Carlton Hotel, mm-hmm. uh, overlooking you know the. the the harbor there. You've lived a blessed life. I, <laughs> <it's an interesting laughs> smoke, smoking my very first Cohiba Robusto. Oh my god! And I can truly tell you, it was like, wow, this is really a fucking good cigar. <laughs> <laughs> Sitting in a, a high-end hotel, is like, this is a great good cigar. cigar. <laughs> and then, um, and I'll just I love it. And then, then I was doing some business years later in Shanghai, <clears throat> and I was, I was staying at uh, the Shangri-La Hotel, and, uh, and. You know, it's one of these things doing business, and I had a free day on a Saturday, and I went down to the lobby, and I was just going to smoke. <clears throat> and um, and I had ordered uh, a Cohiba, the big, the yeah, big, yeah. the big Robusto. Big, no, the Siglo. Siglo. The big monster. And um, hey, hey, hey. and I remember that. No, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> and the place and the place was. Yeah, no, um, no, no, no. Uh, no, no, no. Try it. Yes, please. Try it. Drop some in there. We'll try it. So it was. They were doing some kind of a Moet and Hennessy champagne. I said to the waiter, you know, can I get a glass of champagne? <laughs> this waiter is smart. The waiter looks and goes, You're going to have a glass of champagne with this that? This is a very large cigar. I think you need a bottle. Oh, that is beautiful. So, <laughs> so I didn't, They're so, a tank, dude. They're a tank. But um, you, if, oh you, if you go God. up to our website, um, you will see in the pictures of our website some of our cigar dinners. Oh, I'm going to check it out. I like and, that. Um, yeah. And they're... they're why don't you do this, Lisa? Why don't you... And you came over here to do what? I came over to interview <laughs> you, so we're going to interview... Thanks for listening to Socially Savvy tonight. Please go to our Facebook page, Socially Savvy, and like us. And let us know what your favorite shows have been to be entered into drawings from our sponsors for prizes. We want to thank our sponsors, Woodenville Wine Country, Apex Alder Ridge, Wine Tasting Room, Brian Carter, DeStephanie, Vortex Cellars, Girl of Girl Wines, Leone Wines, Woodenville Wine Cellars, Evolution Cellars, Jay Bookwalter, and Matthew Estates. Have a socially savvy week and make every event better because you were there. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.